Nokia. It's the name they know is winning the game. Houston Astros main. You're listening to the Weekly Brew with Austin Stack, Jeremy Paxton, and Hunter Atkins. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Weekly Group Podcast as we preview the ALCS between the Astros and Red Sox. My name is Austin Staten, and I'm joined via the phone line by the one and only Hunter Atkins of the Houston Chronicle. Hunter, how's it going back in Houston? It's going great. It's hot as hell as always. And also, I would hope I would be the one and only. Are you are you suggesting that there's another Hunter Atkins that you've had on the podcast or you would consider having on the podcast? No, of course not. Okay, good. Got me worried. <laughs> Well, it's good to have you on, and I'm two hours behind you right now in the Pacific Northwest, and you know the only baseball I have up here is what is on my TV screen, but I, I think a lot of people are excited about this series between Boston and Houston starting Saturday at Fenway, and you know, before we get into that, we did our ALDS preview episode, and all three of us, you know, myself, you, and Derek, predicted that the Astros would knock off the Indians, but... I don't think any one of us thought that the Astros would do it the way that they did in three straight games. No, um, to state the obvious, you know, their hitting really performed at a level that none of us expected. Not only was it much more consistent, uh, not only was it much more prodigious in the late innings, but the home run power, uh, you know, is just not something that we had seen from Springer, certainly, and, and even Correa with that, that one home run he hit. Uh, on that, that really, that was a tough pitch to hit, that one that was off the plate. So, you know, uh, it goes without saying that if they hit like that, well, obviously they're going to win the World Series. You know, I, I just don't think that that level of production, I, I honestly don't think it's indicative of how their offense, um, of what we can expect from the offense. Yeah, I was just so impressed with the way the offense clicked. I mean, you know, they, they set so many... Uh, you know, records for postseason games, uh, postseason series. I ran off on that, I think, on Wednesday during the podcast. But, uh, you know, just, just looking at the pitching staff as well. I, I mean, Verlander came and flat-out dealed. Garrett Cole, 12 strikeouts, no walks. Kai Cole looked a little bit shaky, but the bullpen, I mean, the bullpen was just lights out. Yeah, and at the same time, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying this to be contrarian or to sound negative, but a seven-game series against a deeper team, you know, the Red Sox, right, the team that won the most games in baseball. Um, it, it's going to be so different that I, I wouldn't play off too much of what happened in the last series. Yeah, that's totally fair. Uh, you know, in, in kind of previewing the ALCS, uh, Jason Stark tweeted this on uh, Thursday, I believe. He said that uh, the postseason series matching two teams with 103-plus wins – uh, the Red Sox, Astros, of course, 108, 103 wins. This is only the third time in Major League Baseball that this has happened, and the first since 1942. I mean, we're talking pre the United States really getting into World War II. I mean, that's insane. I, I, I mean, is this series going to be everything that everyone thinks it can be? Wow. Um, I, I feel like I feel like I'm I'm just I'm just like dropping bombs on every point. But a lot of the win total we also have to acknowledge is because teams are tanking more than ever. You know what I mean? Like, there were some really bad teams in the American League this year, especially the Rangers. So, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I I think it will be a war because I think it will be a war of attrition for the pitchers. I still 
I mean, I, I feel like I might as well say it now. I still predict the Astros in six in this series. And I, I think that because I just don't, I just don't understand at all where the Red Sox are going to get the arms to get through this thing. You know, it, 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 unless <laughs> it just be unprecedented for the roster they have, but unless they have really like three starting pitchers that can reach the seventh inning in the, in these first four games, or maybe in the five games, like I just forget it because, you know, who are they going to bring in? Their bullpen is so, so unreliable. Um, and I, you know, I'll let you, let you, respond to that but I have some pretty strong opinions about how I expect Alex Cora to go about uh, relieving these games yeah I, I kind of do want to touch on that because you mentioned the Red Sox bullpen and you know the numbers speak for themselves they struggled really the entire season uh, you know but from a strictly numbers perspective they did have a 2.7 ERA uh, in the divisional series against a very high-powered Yankees offense within that number they walked nine batters in 13.1 innings. So, you know, they were still putting guys on base. They didn't look great. I mean, you saw, uh, you know, Kimbrell almost blow the game in game four uh, at the Yankee Stadium. So, you know, don't let the numbers deceive you. The Red Sox bullpen is not in the same category as the Astros bullpen. But also, but also the personnel. We can't be calling it, quote, the bullpen. And the bullpen did well. Do you know who was included in, quote, the bullpen there? Eduardo Rodriguez, a starter, Chris Sale, a starter, and Rick Porcello. Those three starters were used in relief, right? right. For, for Cora to get to Kimbrell in games one and game four, he had to use Porcello in the eighth and then Chris Sale in the eighth. Now, in a short game series, as A.J. Hinch showed last year in beating the Red Sox, you can get away – with being that aggressive, right? With, with using your ace, your number one starter, to seal the end of a five-game series. But when it comes to having to get through seven, I mean, unless the Red Sox wins three in a row, forget it. They just can't get away with that. Um, and I even think I'm going to go farther and say that not only are they not going to be able to, you know, so willy-nilly use guys like Sale or, or, um, or David Price, I guess, who's starting game one and game two, out of the bullpen after, but I expect in game one, I think Nathan Evaldi, who is a starter in the rotation, I think we're going to see him in that game because again, unless Sale can get to the seventh or eighth, uh, I mean, Cora really needs his best arms just to clear an inning. So I think Nathan Evaldi will pitch at least one or two innings in game one. And I think he will start game four. I I really do. I, I just think that they are so bereft of, elite bullpen arms elite relievers rather that you know how else are you going to be able to close the door on on the astros when if you if they have a lead i think that's kind of interesting because you know if you are deploying your game four starter like that in game one i mean that that puts you behind the eight ball that forces you almost to press a little bit to you know try to get those wins in games one through three because i mean you're automatically almost putting that game four starter on you know, a five-inning pitch count. You're exactly right. This is how managers now go about it because they've realized, and I, I don't know who to credit, you know, I think Hinch gets credit because it was the most, I don't know, the flashiest or it was the most effective means uh, of winning games. But this idea that the value of winning a game 
that you have a high chance of winning, you have to go after it because you just have no idea what the next day is going to be like. You know what I mean? Even if you're guaranteed to play the next day or guaranteed to play a game four, these, these managers, specifically the two managers that are in the series, have shown what they're willing to do to get the win as soon as they have a lead. So, so that's why I expect it. And I think it's okay that, all right, so Nathan Evaldi, in theory, he pitches an inning or two on Saturday. The guy can pitch five innings in game four. You know, let's not forget the kind of rest that these guys get in the postseason, right? right. There are enough off days to where these managers can comfortably push guys one day and have them go five innings in a start, you know, four or five days later. So that's my prediction. I, I also think, I, and I'm not saying this to say something different, I, I really do believe that the same principle holds for Charlie Morton. So we haven't seen Morton, I think he went six innings, maybe September, something around September 11th. Yeah, he had a start around then. And that was the last time he went as deep as six innings. You know, we haven't seen the guy at full strength. In, in more than a month now, so or at least by the time of the game. So I, I'm, I think, let's say Justin Verlander has to come out in the fifth or sixth inning. He had to come out in the sixth inning in game one against the Indians, let's not forget, right? right? So you pull him in the sixth, you bring in a high-leverage guy like Presley, right, who's been outstanding, so you bring in Presley. He gets the job done. you got to clear a seventh and eighth to get to a Suna. Hell, Charlie Morton, at that point, so you get rid of Presley, right? And you, and you can't use Asuna yet. Look at the pitchers left. Which guy do you want to come in to get those two innings? It's either Morton or Colin McHugh right now, right? Yeah, I mean, Colin McHugh, I mean, I, I, I think you have more confidence in that bridge guy for the Astros because of what McHugh did. Uh, you know, against the Indians, throwing two phenomenal innings in Game 3. But at the same time, you know, I, I'm not sure that Lance McCullers looked that great. I think, you know, he did get out of the innings unscathed, but I thought he was hit a little bit hard. Uh, and then even the double play ball was still a pretty hard hit ball. Uh, you know, I believe back up the middle. Uh, but, you know, a guy that I think could be a wild card is Josh James, who really dominated uh, the Red Sox just a month ago in Boston in that series at Fenway Park. Is he a guy, one, that actually does make this ALCS roster? And I guess by the time you're listening to this podcast, we'll already have the answer to that. But is he a guy that could play in as uh, an X factor in this bullpen? I don't know. I I think that we look at him through rose-colored glasses because of the way he performed, you know, at the end of the season. And it was spectacular. His, his raw abilities, the, you know, the velocity of his fastball, this, this awesome changeup. It's very dazzling. I, I got to say, though, you know, I don't see how you would pick him in a close game when he's never done this before over McHugh, McCullers, like I said, Charlie Morton. Obviously, we saw him do it in the most important game in Astros history. I, I, that's really my point, is that if you're viewing if, – if, if we are to assume that A.J. Hinch is going to manage as aggressively as he did last year, forget, forget – that he has a deeper bullpen. It's much more about like the high-end quality, right? Who do you trust the most? Who is going to get the outs that you have to get? Who is going to protect the tightest leads? It's, 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 depth might not matter so much as it seems. You know what I mean? You just need like the guy that could do it. 
That, no, that's that, that's very true. And, and postseason baseball is completely different than, you know, the regular season. I mean, you have to win every game. Also, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I was going to say, it's not only different than the regular season. It's different than, like, the – I don't know what, what World Series is going to be, the 100 and whatever, right? But, like, I don't know. The first 100 World Series weren't like this either, you know what I mean? The first 100 playoffs weren't like this. These these last two, three, four years, it was like the last three years since – that crazy Cubs uh, Indians World Series, like it's just it's all thrown into a paint mixer, you know. Like it's so different. It's the strategy behind it, which to me I think is kind of interesting. And you know, AJ Hinch was the mastermind behind it last year, and then you had Cora, who was the bench coach for the Astros, you know, the protege, if you will, uh, you know, kind of deploying the same methods here in Boston. I, I, who do you give the edge from the the, the coaching perspective? I, I mean, it, it's got to be Hinch, right? Well, you got, we got to give it to Hinch because he did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I, uh, you know, like, I, I, I'm not going to believe there's too much weight in a managerial advantage. It's the players. To quote uh, our beloved Derek Fogle, shout out to Jared's cousin. Um, <laughs> you know, like it's about the stallions, right? It's about the horses that you have. And uh, the, the, the Astros not only have a deeper stable, but they definitely have, have the better horses. You know, we, we didn't even really talk yet about let, – let's do, like, starting rotation versus starting rotation, right? Yeah, let, let's, feel free to start where, wherever you want on that. Let's get to that, you know, because Chris Sale is the bell horse for the, uh, you know, the Red Sox. He struggled last year in two appearances against the Astros in the postseason. Uh, Altuve, of course, uh, hitting three home runs against him. Alex Bregman hitting two home runs against him in games one and four. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy that when healthy, uh, it seems like, you know, it seems to me watching Chris Sale that he has like two different types of seasons, right? I mean, the first half of the season, he is extremely dominant, always that Cy Young front runner. And then the second half of the season and into the postseason, he kind of dips a little bit, uh, becomes a little more human, if you will. And, and this year, he seemed to struggle with uh, some injury issues. I mean, where does he sit stacking up against a Justin Verlander who you know, struggled at times this year, but really steps up his game during the postseason. Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I have to do one quick correction, not to be nitpicky, but let's get history right. Altuve got three homers in that first game. Two of which. The second homer he hit. Yeah, I'm sorry. So the third homer that he hit was off of, uh, I think, a guy. I think his last name was Maddox, and I want to say that the kid was from Texas. You might be right on that's that. All, that. That's all I remember. But, um, or like, or maybe it was like Addison something. Anyway. Um, chubby white guy, so I related to him. Um, yeah, like I, Chris Sale is a lot harder to read. You know, it's going to be really easy for every Astros fan to puff their chest out with him on the mound because of what happened last time, right, a year ago. I still, I don't know, man. He's so nasty. His stuff is so good. His numbers are so good. I don't think he's quite at that Clayton Kershaw stage, right, where the ghosts are there forever, where the demons seem unshakable. He hasn't quite had enough failure in the postseason for me to be convinced that he's not going to be difficult. Um, yeah, the Astros can beat him. Sure. I- I'm not going to go so far as to suggest that the experience the Astros enjoyed last year against him is going to be replicable. I- it's going to be in Boston, which is different. Um, Verlander's obviously awesome and outstanding. But, you know, like, this is a really deep Red Sox lineup. Um, you know, he hasn't I'm – tr- I'm trying to think. Justin Verlander has not had to start – oh, no, no, the World Series, I was saying. All right, I was saying, he hasn't had to start a series on the road. Well, 
He hasn't had to start a series of Tenway. So we'll see how that goes. I, uh, I, I think that is much more of a coin flip. The, the game, game one will be, can be won. I think most likely will be won in the war of attrition, chipping away, putting pressure, making sure Sale gets the hell out of that game before the sixth inning, before the completion of the sixth inning. So long as you can get him out of there, um, that, now it's an Astros game. Even if they are down, by the way, by four runs, as I watched with intent during the Red Sox and Yankees series, right? That last game, you mentioned it before, the Red Sox were playing naked and afraid. They, were, they felt like survivalists to win that series. I promise you. They did not feel great about narrowly escaping a crazy bullpen meltdown in game four. You know, I, I, I do think that's kind of interesting because, you know, uh, in the division series, Yuli Gurriel and then uh, Carlos Correa struggled a bit in terms of offensive production. Uh, but one thing I did notice is that they were able to extend counts, extend at bats. They didn't necessarily press trying to get, uh, you know, a hit on that first or second pitch. They would, uh, you know, kind of force the, uh, you know, Clevenger's pitch count to go up or, or whoever was starting that particular day for the Indians. I, I feel like that's sort of the key for success for the Astros is, you know, just prolonging those at bats, extending those at bats and just wearing sail down, getting his pitch count elevated. Am I far off in thinking that that's sort of the Astros approach? No, look, that's, that's what made the Astros so awesome last year, right? Is just the incredible at bat quality. That and apparently Carlos Beltran noticing you Darvish was tipping his pitches. But, you know, they just, um, that is what makes the Astros, a, you know, Hinch likes to use the term a complete lineup, right? When they are one through nine, going in tandem, adding onto each other, piggybacking off of each other. And we, we saw that uh, against the Indians. I, I, still don't, I just still don't think that it's going to be so, so reliable in a, uh, a seven-game series. I also do think... I don't know. Like, now that I saw how bad the Indians pitched, I actually have more faith in the Red Sox uh, pitching staff, you know, despite how historically great those uh, Indians pitchers were. So um, I, I, I just think that David, he stinks. The Astros should definitely beat him. But Mason Avaldi has been really, really good. And I think Porcello is pretty good. The last time Porcello pitched against the Astros, it was sort of coin flip until right at the end. Uh, he couldn't. Uh, I don't. I, I'm pretty sure I remember the game well. I think it was the Sunday night uh, on ESPN game that Purcell pitched against them, and uh, you know, eventually the Astros reported on at the end. But um, yeah, I, I just think that it's going to come down to um, somehow surviving through the Red Sox starting rotation long enough to to eviscerate the bullpen. So I, I do want to touch on David Price because he he, he looked good against the Astros and you know this year. Uh, but he struggles in the postseason. I think you wrote an article talking about how the uh, the comparisons between him and Verlander and their struggles in their first 10 outings uh, was a little bit unfair. Uh, you know, how, how does Price fit into this series? Is he a bullpen guy? Is he a starter? How do they use him? He is teetering on the edge of becoming a sunk cost, to use an economic term. Look, you gotta. I, I actually. I don't think it's so ridiculous for Cora to say, "Oh yeah, of course I'm going to start him in game two. You have to do everything you can to salvage him until it's clear that you can't pitch him. And they're not there just yet. Um, you got to give him another chance. He very well might. He being David uh, Price might wind up being unusable um, and just so ineffective for 
uh, you know, whether it be demons, whether it be the quality of hitters that he has to get through twice or three times. But um, you got to at least try it if, you, if you're Alex Cora. And the, and the reason why I wrote that story about how comparing David Price's struggles to Justin Verlander's struggles early in his career in the postseason is, is a bad comparison is because that's what Cora offered as his explanation, right? He's trying to pump up some kind of optimism about David Price saying, well, you know, Justin Verlander struggled too through his first 10 starts. It's like, dude, really, really bad comparison for, for several reasons. One is that Verlander, um, his postseason experience, his first two trips were five seasons apart. So, like, all kinds of variance in there, as opposed to Price, who actually has had this, like, consistent stretch of postseason run, uh, runs. And then Justin Verlander's turnaround has been ridiculous. Since 2011, so, or sorry, since 2012, in the postseason, Verlander's thrown, I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head, I'm going to say 92 and one-third innings in the postseason, if I remember correctly, and he has a two ERA. So, you know, shut the hell up, Alex Cora. That's ridiculous. Peter <laughs> Price's ERA is through the freaking roof, you know? So he sucks. That's uh, it's a pretty hot take, uh, but you know I think also uh, you know fairly accurate take as well, just based on uh, data, numbers, that sort of thing. But all right, so it looks like game two, you've got to like Garrett Cole uh, in that matchup. So I don't know, are the Astros taking both games in Boston? Is that or do you do you see this as a uh, a split? No, well, look, it's a quite the mismatch between Price and, and Cole, so there's no reason to, in even mentioning that. But um. Yeah, the Astros could definitely, they could, they could leave there with two wins. Um, I, I just, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go that far. I, I also could see the game being close enough to where it becomes a bullpen battle. And, you know, I look for all the confidence that I asserted the Astros hitters should have in, you know, in beating up on the Red Sox bullpen. I don't think those Red Sox hitters who are, who are extraordinary, right? We haven't even gotten to them. Why should they be afraid of, Ryan Presley, who has never pitched on a stage like this before. Why should they be afraid of Colin McHugh, who, like we touched on before, they destroy. They've eaten him alive in his career, right? Um, so I'm trying to think. You know, Asuna's very good, but you certainly can't use him for, for more than one or two innings. Like, Lance McCullers can be wild. I, I, I really think, you know, it, it, it's just, it's just a, it's such a close series that I don't want to go out on such a limb and say, oh, yeah, like, that's a healthy. That's a healthy idea that the Astros can take away two wins from from Fedway Park. All right, so let let's get a little bit to that 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 Boston offense. You know, they are absolutely phenomenal, putting up runs left and right. They have two of the top, I don't know, three MVP candidates and Mookie Betts and uh, a former Astro JD Martinez on that team. Uh, you know, and then of course you've got the young star Andrew Benatendi, who the Astros could have taken over Kyle Tucker. Uh, you know. How, how does that team shape up offensively against his pitching staff? Let's be realistic. The two best hitters in this series are on the Red Sox, in Mookie Betts at the top and J.D. Martinez. I just wrote a whole story today about J.D. Martinez, how, uh, newsflash, you cannot throw him any pitches, guys. He can hit everything. He really can. Um, I, I broke it down by looking at the, the five hits that he had, in the ALDS, I compared it with Alex Bregman's, who obviously we all think had this awesome series. Well, he certainly did. It wasn't as good as J.D. Martinez, because out of Martinez's five hits, four of them were on pitches that were outside of the strike zone. Out of Bregman's five hits, only one of them was on a pitch outside the strike zone. 
Now, you know, you want to say, well, okay, so Bregman's really good at forcing guys back into the zone. Uh, not quite. It's that J.D. Martinez in the postseason out of 111 players was dead last in the number, in the percentage of strikes that he saw, meaning pitchers are petrified of throwing the ball over the plate to him. Again, out of 111 players, this guy saw the fewest, like the lowest percentage of strikes. And still, he mashed. He is the most dangerous hitter on planet Earth right now. More than, more than Mike Trout, for real. He just, he just, he's eliminated any spot. Like, I could go on and on. I have, I have even more stats that I could, like, throw out about how indomitable a hitter uh, he's become. You know, what do you do? How do you approach it? Well, here's, here's a hot take. This is, the, this is the hottest take I guarantee anybody will say in their postseason coverage. I mean, not to suggest I'm anybody important or that anybody's listening to us right now, but in the event that, like, one of our parents listens, this is going to be the hottest take of the postseason. I said it in the last round, I think maybe to, to our friend Jared. Shout out to Jared's cousin. Um, I think you intentionally walk J.D. Martinez. You put him on base every single time that you don't have to pitch to him. And I mean that if he's the go-ahead run, the tying run, I don't care. And it's not only because I think it's not a bad idea to avoid pitching to him or, or, or giving him pitches to hit. I actually think there is something to sh- letting him see fewer pitches, period. You know, you pitch around the guy, right? Well, now you've, you've tipped your hand in some regard. He's so good. He's so smart. He has such a mastery of, of being able to adjust in at-bats and between at-bats. Hell, don't pitch to him. Give him first base. And when you really have to get an out from him, well, he's, he's presumably less prepared and less ready for those pitches. I think that's a pretty good take. You know, I think my dad, who probably is listening right now, is probably thinking in his mind, oh, my God, we used to do that back in 10-year-old baseball against Kyle Walker, and it worked. The nemesis? No, we had this, like, uh, freak lefty that was, uh, you know, in our little league. He ended up playing for the University of Texas, got drafted by the Rockies, but he was a guy that just absolutely destroyed the ball. And so my dad realized that nobody else on his team could hit. And so my dad would just say, you know, this is Little League, but I'm still going to intentionally walk the kid. And we walked him literally every single time, and the next guy struck out. Uh, the one time that we did not walk him, there was nobody on base, but he had a triple. I mean, it was just – he was that kind of talent. It, yeah, so he's it's – a, It's a Barry Bonds-esque kind of concept. Yeah. I, 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 I really – it would be really radical um, because – well, it would be really radical for Hinch and the Astros because – they have presented themselves and for the far majority of the time proven themselves to be the best, to have the best players, to have the most fearless players, right? Like if you have this in Verlander and Garrett Cole, presumably they are formidable enough to get GD Martinez out more times than he would get on base and they would be able to get him out in critical situations. I just, I kind of, I, I just think play the long game here. Um, I, I know it's so crazy to put men on base ever, but and probably not the best idea to put J.D. Martinez on to lead off an inning, but I don't know. Like You put him on first base, and after him is, is Xander Bogarts. We can talk about him. He's actually been incredible in this postseason. So if somebody's thinking, well, Hunter, now you're just setting up for Xander Bogarts to drive these guys in. Nah, okay? The playbook on Bogarts is actually very simple. It's very obvious. It's much clearer 
than it is for J.D. Martinez, who for whom there seems to be no playbook on how to get him out. Bogarts is almost at the opposite end of the spectrum of J.D. Martinez. So J.D. Martinez saw like the fewest strike percentage or the lowest strike percentage. Bogarts saw one of the highest, meaning that the Yankees pitchers in the ALDS, they were not afraid of him. They attacked him in the zone. Well, frankly, they should have treated him with a little more respect. They should have made him work a little harder. They should have really not been afraid to walk that guy if you had to. Um, so, you know, the Astros pitchers are skilled enough. They throw high in the zone better than any team in baseball. That's got to give them an advantage against a guy like Bogarts. It could give them a little bit more of an advantage against J.D. Martinez. I just don't think it's worth the risk. That guy is, you know, he's superhuman. So, A.J. Hinch, if you're listening right now, take Hunter's advice. Do not pitch to J.D. Martinez. Yeah, I'd, seriously. I mean, A.J. almost sent that message with his I, – I asked him two days ago. Um, I said, you know, what is it, what is it specifically that makes J.D. Martinez such an elite killer at the plate? And, you know, Hinch so really, I think, admirably um, was pra- you know, praised Martinez, right, who in a lot of ways is – an enemy in Astros history and not for, for, for good reason, because uh, you know, like if Astros fans are kind of jealous of this guy or the Astros organization feels bitter, well, hell Houston should be blamed immensely and forever for not knowing that this guy had it in him for not being able to figure out that, that they, that, that this guy could do it. Right. They released JD Martinez in March, 2014 up till that point he had totaled again, I'm trying to do this off the top of my head. In his three seasons with the Astros, I think Martinez averaged a 241 average, 24 homers, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna forget the RBI total, but it was it was minuscule, right? So, he, so in three seasons, sorry, he, in three seasons he totaled 24 homers. This year alone, he has 43 home runs. He hit 330. He had more than 100 RBIs. Like, you know. He's, he topped the three-year production with the Astros in this one's first season with the Red Sox. And now he is on a path of vengeance. Yeah, I think if there's one guy in franchise history that the Astros wish they had back, it would be him. Uh, it, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of interesting because we saw something similar to the Red Sox giving up Jeff Bagwell. You know, it was, it was just, you know, granted it was a little bit different. That's of a... an interesting little wrinkle. Oh. Story idea for you. See, You're welcome. See. Yeah, I was going to say, shh, don't, don't, don't tell anybody. But, you know, the last thing that I kind of want to touch on real quick is uh, the run game. Uh, the Red Sox, they do have a lot of speed on the base paths. They have a lot of uh, guys that are milling, willing to go that extra base to try to, you know, manufacture run. Maldonado, uh, you know, he is a guy with an absolute rocket for a right arm. Uh, how much has he helped the Astros defensively uh, in this series? Monumentally. Um, Chandler Rome, the Houston Chronicle beat reporter covering the Astros full-time, Wrote a beautiful story today. Um, obviously, whoever's listening now can see it online um, about how much Maldonado has really changed. Um, he, he shored up the one significant weakness of an otherwise outstanding, very deep team. You know, the reigning champions, right? But even the reigning champions, as they were pursuing their championship last year, they had really crappy. Um, catchers when it came to the run game. You know, like Stassi McCann and uh, McCann, even even Gaddis at times. You know, they, they managed a the game fine. McCann is actually exceptional at it, and they're very good at blocking. But, oh my God, the two of them, Stassi and McCann, literally were among 
the try to do it off the top of my head, twelve worst catchers in all of baseball at like arm speed, like the slowest arms, those guys. And the Astros were dead last last year in allowing stolen or they allowed the most stolen bases. They caught the fewest. They had a twelve percent caught stealing percentage. That I'm, I remember distinctly. And now you get a guy who, if he's not number one, he's you know, he's in the top four catchers in all baseball at just killing runners. So it, it's going to be big. I, I think that um, I, I I also don't think the uh, Red Sox are going to be afraid. So we're going to finally get some good confrontations. We didn't get him in the Indian series because having Maldonado alone is a threat in the same way that like. Uh, uh, what was like? You keep like an owl outside your porch and it scares away the mice or something like that, like a fake owl. Like he's the fake owl, right? Scaring off all the little mice. So, but the Red Sox will go for it. I, I, you know, I'm trying to think. Like, Mookie's not afraid. Mookie will go for a base. Um, so it'll be really, it'll be really interesting. But uh, to, no, to your point, uh, Maldonado is, is is an awesome new addition that uh, they, they were never going to get without him. All right, we've got Hunter Atkins35 on Twitter. Uh, Hunter, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. You said the Astros win this thing in six. Who is your X factor? How do they get it done? I think Yuli Gurriel. You know, I think that Green Monster is going to be good for him. I also think quietly, people don't realize that since, I want to make sure I have this right, since September 1st, Yuli is hitting 337, I think. So he's been really good. You know, like the easy answer is to sort of say Marwin because he's been high uh, really, really recently. But Yuli's had really good at-bats. I just think you also know exactly what you're going to get from him. You know, you can always rely on him to make contact. Um, it's going to be really important to try to put balls in play against Sale. You know, like anything uh, off that guy. So I'm, I'm going to go with Yuli. All right, Yuli Gurriel, the X factor that gets it done for the Astros as they knock off the Red Sox at six. You heard it from Hunter Atkins. That's some great sound bites, Hunter. We had Naked and Afraid. We had prices teetering on the edge of being a sunk cost, and that we should intentionally walk JD Martinez every single time that he's up. So great episode, Hunter. I'm always good for those. Although I feel like you're ta- you're talking to me as if like I'm a guest. You know what I mean? Like I'm not a guest. I know you're not a guest. You're a host. That's why you're in the intro. All right, all right. It's like, you know, uh, come on. You know, I'm, I'm trying to give you some love too, bro. It's just it's just weird that I'm, like, staring at a wall right now instead of your face. That's the only difference. No, it's not because we're <laughs> never truly apart. You're always with me. Always in my and heart. You know, you know who else is always with me? Jeremy. Our seven devoted listeners. I think we're up to nine this week. Nine? Dude, that's two more listeners that are always with me. I'm always thinking of you guys, all of you guys out there. So thank you for listening. See, as a stats guy, I would say that's a 34% growth. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't do math, man. I just, I just, I just copy and paste whatever I see Darren Wilman tweet. <laughs> all right, Hunter, it's always great to uh, talk a little baseball with you. Uh, looking forward to getting back to Houston and doing a, uh, a World Series preview with you as well. 